Amen. Please remain standing. Gail is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. It comes out of the fourth gospel or fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. There in the pew Bibles, there in front of you, you can you can find it on page seven hundred thirty-five. And follow along in your own Bible as well. John chapter four, verses thirty-nine through forty-two. But I'll tell you now, it's out of the message. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There was one reason and one reason alone that woman was there at the well at that time of the day. You are probably, well, you may be familiar with the story, but as the story goes, Jesus was, seemed like he was in quite a hurry to wherever he was getting. And, uh, because very few people, at least very few Jews, would, would even pass through the land of Samaria. In fact, they would, they would always come right up to the border of, of Samaria and they would, uh, they would go to the east, across the Jordan River, up the banks of the Jordan River, and then as they, as they got far enough north past the border, they would cross back over to the Jordan, come from the west into wherever they were going. But Jesus seemed like he was on, in, in a hurry. It may have been that he was in a hurry or it may have been that, that he didn't care. What, the, what, the, what, what this relationship was like, like it was the Hatfields and the McCoys. That was the relationship between, between the Jews and the Samaritans. The, the, the Jews, wouldn't, they would not even pass through the country of Samaria. But Jesus found himself here at a well on this particular day. And at the well, he found this woman. And again, there was only one reason one reason that the, wo that the wo woman would have been at the well during the noonday. It, it was custom. It was custom that uh, it was always the, the women who did the domestic work of the house. And so they were the ones who would gather water. And they always did so in the, very, uh, very, in the cool of the, of the very early morning or the cool of the very late evening. Never, absolutely never in the heat of the daytime. In, in fact... I, well, it was, the, it was the time of gathering and storytelling, I will say, as the women gathered together at the well every, every single morning and every single evening. We get a hint in the scripture uh, of why she was there in the noontime. She had been married multiple times. In fact, she had had five husbands, and, and Jesus even said, the man that you're with now is not even your husband. So Jesus shows up here at this well and finds this woman and asks her to give him a drink. Now, that was shocking enough. 
It was, it was shocking enough for Jesus, a, a Jew, a, a rabbi, to be even going through the land of Samaria, but then to stop? To stop would have, would have been unheard of. For him to stop and, and to be seen publicly talking to a woman absolutely would have been unheard of. And then, to top it all off, it was what kind of woman she was. He never should have said a word to her. But he asked her for a drink. And she immediately, she immediately got defensive. You broke the law just talking to me. Why are you, why are you a, a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Immediately she began to become defensive. She, she was all alone. She had been a victim in her, in her village. She knew what it was to be a victim. And she knew what it was to put her defenses up for I am sure that many men had talked to her and oftentimes it did not end well. Why are you, why are you talking to me? You broke, you've broken the rule. You've broken the, the, the rule. Jesus said, well, I, I, I want you to, well, I, I need a drink, but if, if you knew where I came from, you would know that I, that I have some living water. And, 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 and you could come and, and drink from that living water. And she begins to look around and says, what kind of living water are you talking about? Now, now living water is, a, is another name for some sort of stream. For she would have wanted a stream. A stream would have been way better. Not only would, in, in their thought, was, uh, was running water much healthier for you and much better for the body. But, uh, uh, but a stream would have, would have said there was shade nearby. And so it would have been way, way easier for her to gather water in the middle of the day if there was living water, if there was a, a, a stream with shade nearby. She didn't quite get the point. Jesus said, when you drink of this living water, you will, you will, never, you will never go thirsty again. Well, Lord, well, well, then, well, then give, me, give me that living water. Give me that living water. And then Jesus said, um, okay, let me tell you something about your life. <laughs> You've been married five times, and the man that you're married with is, is not your husband. You see, Jesus was beginning to point, point out that, that if you're going to be drinking from this living water, there's a massive difference between drinking from the living water and drinking from stagnant water. You see, when you, when you drink of stagnant water, it, it, it keeps the, the dark and dusty areas of our lives and of our hearts. It, it keeps them from, from being cleaned out. We can just live the lives that we've always lived. We can, we can, we can live with those dark secrets. We can, we can live with those areas of our lives that, that are never touched. But when we come into contact with this living water of Jesus Christ, things change. And no longer are we the same. So this woman is confronted with this. She's confronted with an important decision here. Is she going to? Is she going to continue to? Um, is, is she going to? Is she going to continue to to drink from that stagnant water with the with the dark areas of her lives, or is she willing to go? Is she willing to go out into the deep and drink of that living water? And so she distracts Jesus. <laughs> With a theological question, she, she begins to ask him about the differences between her faith and, and his faith. Isn't the church you go to the most important thing, she's asking him? 
no, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not at all. And, and so then she tries a, a, a different religious distraction. It's one that, that argues that all religions are the same. Aren't all religions the same? Don't they all, don't they all lead down the same path that we come to the same God? And so her words, her words were, were one day the Messiah will come and then, and then we'll see what's what. And Jesus looked at her and said, I am he. Again, the woman was, the woman was, was confronted with this truth. The, the, this, this, was a, this was an encounter, an, an authentic, open, open take-it-or-leave-it encounter with Jesus for her and, and, for, and for each one of us. This is the moment when she and we know that Jesus knows us and he loves us anyway the moment. It's a crisis point in her faith. She knows that Jesus knows all about her, everything about her, and Jesus has met her right at her very need. It's a crisis point for all of us when we recognize that God knows everything about us. Everything. My, my best friend is, is here today. We've been friends since I think I was in the second grade when we met Darren, and Darren can tell you almost everything about my life. <laughs> we, we shared almost everything growing up. Don't, by the way, don't ask him questions because I've got just as much dirt on him as well. But there are things that not even Darren Sharp knows, and there are things that not even Amy Broadbent knows about my life. The Lord knows, and what I have found is that the Lord knows me fully and he loves me fully. And that's a crisis point to our faith, dear friends. In fact, I believe when we accept this fact, that God knows us fully, when God knows the, the, the dark and dusty corners of our hearts and of our lives, yet loves us fully, then we are confronted with this loving God and life begins then to change. In fact, for the woman, it changed so much. It changed so much that she couldn't keep it secret any longer. The moment that she recognized that God is a loving God, that God knows her fully, yet God loves her fully, her life changes. Her life changes, and she then runs back into the community that judged and isolated her and probably abused her and, and boldly says, I have a great gift for you. Come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done in my life. Come and see Jesus. Not a, not a temple in Jerusalem, not, a, not doctrines of Judaism, not a cult, not a practice or a mountaintop, not a, not a preacher and not a building or a program, but come and see Jesus Christ from whom the, from, from whom the living water flows. Because you see, dear friends, it is all about Jesus Christ. So this, is a, this really is a, a short sermon series dealing with what it takes to be a good neighbor. The Art of Neighboring is the title of this series. And so last week, we, we looked at what it was for us to literally 
to take Jesus' word seriously of loving our neighbor, literally our neighbor. And for many of us, we don't know our neighbors. Again, we know enough to wave at them as our garage door is coming down and we go back to, our, to, the, to the backyard. And so the challenge last week was for you to uh, be able to name your closest eight neighbors and then be able to say something about them. You know, do they have a dog? What kind of car do they drive? And then the third step was to, was to say something intimate about them, meaning that um, something that they're dealing with in their life. Only, only by engaging them, typically one-on-one, would you know about that thing. And I was, I was really, really convicted really convicted. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an awful neighbor. Again, I was uh, raised out in the country. I'm not used to having neighbors. <laughs> when, we, when we got home, we were completely and absolutely secluded, and, and so I was convicted about that and, and took a little time this past week with, one of, with my neighbor across the street, found out, found out some things about, about him and his, and his family. They're getting ready to go on vacation. Uh, we're going to watch over their house just a little bit. Uh, what so, so we've lost that art of what it means to be a neighbor. And the reason that we are called to be good neighbors, the reason that we are called to love our neighbor as ourself so that, so that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, all, it's all about telling others about the love of God through Jesus Christ. And here at First Church, I'll be honest, because of, of, of where we find ourselves, and I was very honest last week, over the last 20 years, we have seen a steady decline year after year after year after year. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we have indeed lost the art of neighboring. And I think another reason, another reason for that, although we have, we have experienced changed lives, we are, no, we are now no longer telling people about that changed life that we've experienced. It's become old hat to us. Well, yeah, our lives have been changed. Yeah, I've been forgiven. Yeah, I've come to know a, a, a God who knows me fully, yet loves me fully. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody else wants to hear about that. Dear friends, this is the living water. And when people drink of that living water, they will never thirst again. This past week, there was a, a, a woman who stopped by the church here and uh, she was needing a, a meeting place for um, uh, a group that she's involved with. And um, uh, she was just looking around the church, asking some questions. And then um, she wanted to come into the sanctuary. Uh, she's part of an Anglican church here in Oklahoma City. It's a very small community. But they're looking for, uh, they're, they're just looking around to see what, what's available maybe for them to do some things. And uh, so uh, she, again, we, we had looked at other parts of the church and, uh, but she did want to come in and see the sanctuary, and so she she walked back. We walked right back through those through those doors, right back there, and we got we got right there at the very back, right inside the doors. And she looked at me. She said, "Whoa, do you feel that?" I said, "You bet I do." Her reaction was like almost everybody's reaction when they come into our sanctuary. I can't tell you how many colleagues and friends that I've brought into this sanctuary, and they immediately recognize that something is different. There is something different about this space. The presence of the Lord is here. That's all I can, that's the only way I can describe it. I have had colleagues that have come, walked in the doors, and they, they immediately began to weep. And I'm not talking about, you know, my buddies who are big criers. <laughs> no, th- these, 
these are people, I mean, these are, some of them are, are kind of a seasoned, kind of grizzled, cynical pastors, and they come in those doors, they come in those doors right back there, and they are blown away by the presence of the Lord in this place. One of them, one of them, in fact, had a word for First Church, and I want you to hear this, because I think it is, it is a word, it is a word for, for this church. Hear this that my friend heard from the Lord. First Church is an oasis in the middle of a city, but for some reason the people there aren't bringing the thirsty to the oasis. They are afraid there won't be enough water to go around, but this place is a place of living water. There's enough water for everyone. Don't be afraid of those who are thirsty. I want, you, I want you to take just a moment to, to read through that and to hear that again. First church is an oasis in the middle of a city, but for some reason, the people there aren't bringing the thirsty to the oasis. They are afraid there won't be enough water to go around, but this is a place of living water. There's enough water for everyone. Don't be afraid of the thirsty. Come and see, the woman said. Here we are, an oasis in the middle of this city. The Spirit of the Lord is thick in this place, dear friends. It's like an oasis here in this spiritually parched neighborhood, this neighborhood full of distractions and shops and restaurants and businesses and multi-billion dollar industries and millionaire athletes and leaders of corporations and a memorial designated to those who died in a horrific act of hatred and racism. And here we are in the very oasis, in the very heat of the day, but we have found refuge here in this cooled oasis where there is living water, dear friends. Drinking from this well of living water, but afraid to tell anyone about it. Afraid that if more come, there won't be enough left for us. Afraid that if, that if more come and drink from this living water found here in this place, that things will change, that they will come with their troubles and sinful lives, that we will lose touch with one another, that there won't be enough living water to go around. But let me tell you, this living water, the well never runs dry. And the Samaritans believed, not because of what the woman had said, but because they came into contact with the living God. You see, dear friends, our job is easy. It is easy. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is offering salvation to all of the world, and we literally have 
thousands and thousands of people within walking distance of this church who are thirsty. They are dying of thirst. They are dying of sin. Moment by moment, there are people slipping into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And we have the living water. And there's a world that is dying of thirst. Come and see what the Lord has done in my life. All the woman did was told, she, uh, she simply told her story. She told her story about what Jesus Christ had done for her. And that's your job, and it's my job. Dear friends, we are so, I mean, we're in the very presence of the Lord on this day and on every, on, on every Sunday right here. We're in the very presence of the Lord. We are drinking from that living water. And again, there is a world that is dying of thirst. God help us. God help us if we don't go out and see and say, come and see, come and see what the Lord has done in my life. My life has changed. And they'll come. And they'll believe, not because of what I say and not because of what you say, but they'll come. And they'll come and believe because when they come in those back doors, they are going to be struck with the power of God. This is a place of living water. Indeed, may we drink freely. And may we invite others to drink freely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.